Hello and welcome to the first ever episode of the Belfast High History Podcast. You're very welcome. Our aim from this podcast is to build up a collection of easy to listen to short podcasts to hopefully help you understand and learn your history better. My name is John Bushart and I am Head of History and Politics at Belfast High School. The first topic we're going to actually go through is about the Prime Minister of Northern Ireland, Terence O'Neill, and how he tried to transform Northern Ireland politically and economically back in the 1960s. This is a key GCSE history topic. So who exactly was Captain Terence O'Neill? Well, Terence O'Neill became Prime Minister of Northern Ireland in 1963. As such, he was actually the leader of the official Unionist Party, the OUP. Now, O'Neill was not elected as leader of the party. He was chosen by uh, the people at the very top. He was appointed by them, who tended to be uh, quite privileged people like himself. So O'Neill came from quite a privileged background. He had served in the Irish Guards in the Second World War and he was educated at Eton College in England. This gave him quite a posh English accent uh, which made him slightly aloof from the rest of the Ulster population but still he was widely respected and he had a set of um, very strong ambitions that he wanted for Northern Ireland. O'Neill is what you regard as a liberal unionist. He wanted Northern Ireland to remain in the United Kingdom but he also wanted it to change and transform. He realised there was problems with Northern Ireland that needed addressed. And he would try to address both sets of problems. They were political problems and economic problems. Let's start by looking at his economic policies. First of all, his aims. What economic aims would O'Neill have? Well, O'Neill realised that Northern Ireland in the 1960s was very different than it had been previously. Um, Northern Ireland in uh, 1912, for example, was the largest ship producer in the entire world. Uh, it also had the largest linen factories, huge engineering works, and it was very, very prosperous as a society. If you look at Belfast City Hall, you can tell that there is hugely self-confident and um, all the big factories you can still see quite a lot of them around Belfast today. It's a very different uh, environment and very industrially, very strong. However, by the 1960s, that had changed. Um, shipbuilding had declined. It faced huge competition from abroad, uh, the likes of Korea and Japan and Germany. Uh, it also faced um, growing competition as well in the linen industry from new products such as nylon and different various other different synthetic textiles. So O'Neill realised it had to change, it had to adapt, it had to become more modern and um, much more um, clear thinking on how it would actually develop economically. So he set about trying to make Northern Ireland into a modern industrialised society able to compete in the modern world and also in order to do this, to try to create a much more economic uh, and social equality in the state as well too. So, what were O'Neill's policies? Well, he had a number of different policies which helped to change Northern Ireland. First of all, he would pump in huge amounts of investment into the economy. £900 million was invested to try to make Northern Ireland into a much more competitive uh, industrial um, work, uh, work, workforce 
and the economy. He would also set about transforming the infrastructure in Northern Ireland, uh, trying to modernise it as well too. So uh, he would have the first motorway in Northern Ireland, or the first motorway in the island of Ireland, I should say. He would also um, build a, a new airport at Aldergrove. Previously, there was airports in places like Nuts Corner, but Aldergrove was going to be Belfast International Airport um, and would become a very busy air route. He also aimed to invest into a new city, at Craig Avenue, new cities, new towns were all the raids in the 1960s, trying to get away from the um, the old industrial slums of uh, bigger cities. And they wanted to create these new modern cities uh, outside the older towns and cities. And Craig Avenue was meant to be uh, this new city. He also aimed to build a new university at Corian. Obviously, Queen's University was still there, but he wanted the University of Ulster to be built at Corian. Um, and aiming obviously to bring uh, higher education to much more people within Northern Ireland. A new oil refinery was built in Belfast and it, you know he supported older ship, older industries like shipbuilding with loans of up to a million pounds. Try to keep it afloat. Remember those, um, those places were huge employers in, in you know, quite vulnerable areas of Belfast. So Harlandwood for example got a million pounds loan um, I think annually. He also helped to attract uh, new industries into the province, such as ICI, DuPont and Mitchell. And a lot of those businesses still existed until quite recently. Mitchell closed down uh, only very recently. DuPont still exists up in uh, Derry, London Derry. What sort of successes then did this bring? Well, it did bring huge success. All those big companies did come and invest in Northern Ireland and began to make it a much more uh, competitive place uh, in the world. 35,000 new jobs were created as well during this period, a lot of them in these big, new, quite well-paid industries as well too. Uh, the infrastructure obviously improved and this really did help Northern Ireland compete um, economically with competitors across the world. However, just remember there are weaknesses as well too. Uh, Harnley Wolf, as you've heard, it still had this big subsidy of a million pounds a year to try to keep it supported and keep it uh, open. So it's basically making ships, but making ships at a loss. Unemployment still remained actually quite high as well too, especially in parts of Northern Ireland. A lot of the investment tended to be actually centred in the east of the province, in Antrim and down in Armagh. Um, and there was complaints that a lot of that investment was not making it west of the River Ban, which would be much more uh, Catholic, much more nationalist areas. Um, and this obviously led to political concerns as well too. There were also loss of jobs as well too. So while 35,000 jobs were created, 20,000 jobs were lost in older industries like shipbuilding and uh, living. Um, and this here created a sense that Northern Ireland was definitely moving forward, but there were obviously still concerns as well too. What about politics then and um, political progress? Well, what he aimed at here was trying to improve relations between two groups of people. First of all, is Northern Ireland's nearest neighbour, the Republic of Ireland. He aimed to actually create much friendlier atmosphere with uh, this nearest neighbour and to try to set off things in a new feeling. And he aimed to do that because he really wanted Northern nationalists to feel much more at home in Northern Ireland, to become you know, much more at ease with um, the Northern Ireland state. He realised there were issues there, he realised there were concerns, and he realised they were not invested into Northern Ireland as a state. And hopefully by reaching out to them and reaching out to the Republic of Ireland, this would make things a lot better. So what sort of policies did he actually aim at here? Well, politically, 
he actually met the Taoiseach, the Irish Prime Minister, Sean Lamas, at Stormont in 1965. This was huge. It was 40 years since there had been a meeting between leaders of the North and the South, which seems extraordinary, but that was the case. This meeting was kept secret. He even kept it secret from his own cabinet, his own cabinet colleagues, which would create lots of mistrust, as to, has to be said, um, between O'Neill and some fairly um, important unionists. However, he did this because he knew this might create controversy and the visit may not happen. Lamas as well had to keep it secret as well. These are two quite strange um, bedfellows here because Lamas was, I think, in the Easter Rising. He was in the old IRA uh, and uh, O'Neill was an orange man. So uh, for the two of these people to meet and have an understanding was quite a significant uh, event. So what did they discuss? What did they change? Well, it was highly symbolic, more than anything, this meeting. And both of them knew they could get in trouble for it, but it was more about symbolism. They did agree, though, to uh, meet up again. And uh, O'Neill visited Dublin, Lamas visited the North again. Uh, and they agreed to share things like electricity, which made a lot of sense in terms of an All-Ireland um, ability to, to share this resource. O'Neill also reached out to other areas as well. Cardinal Conway was the leader of Ireland's Catholics. He actually visited him. Uh, and he, the government, the Northern Ireland government, actually offered condolences to the Vatican on the death of, um, of Pope John. Um, I think it was 1963 for that. Uh, but that's quite a big thing for Unionist government to offer condolences on the death of the Pope. O'Neill also reached out to Catholic schools and hospitals. He visited Assumption Grammar School in Ballina Hinch. He visited the Mater Hospital in Belfast and he went further than just visiting so he actually uh, promised them finance as well too, which is quite a big step. And then finally in 1966, which was the anniversary of the Easter Rising and obviously the anniversary of the, um, the Battle of the Somme as well too, um, two Catholics were killed um, in Belfast and as a result of that uh, he made the UVF, the Ulster Volunteer Force, illegal. Uh, up to then, it actually had been a legal organisation, but this these murders led to him um, banning the organisation. What sort of um, successes did he have then in terms of his political um, policies here? Well, he did have some success with nationalists. Nationalists welcomed O'Neill's uh, reforms. They felt that you know their concerns had been addressed at last. There was high expectations about what was going to come next, you know, in terms of civil rights, but they did welcome uh, the fact that he'd met with uh, Sean Lamas. And Eddie McAteer and his Nationalist Party actually entered into Stormont for the first time as the opposition party as a sign of progress. This was actually quite a big step forward. Nationalists were aware that they needed more than just lip service to some of these things. Moderate unionists as well, well, they supported the O'Neill too, because they believed that you know, making nationalists content within the United Kingdom was in their interest as well too. So making their life fair, making them into real United Kingdom citizens uh, with the same rights as anybody else was a step in the right direction. So O'Neill had that in favour too. And this was shown by um, the 1965 election results which showed his OUP winning 38 out of the 52 seats. So clearly there wasn't really any um, main anger showing amongst many of the Unionist population and certainly it seemed to be a vote of confidence in O'Neill. However, this was all in the short term. O'Neill did have problems here as well too because his OUP party was increasingly divided as um, his reformers went on. He obviously had kept that visit from the mass secret from them 
and he had um, he created a lot of animosity. He also was quite weak in terms of his leadership because um, he was not elected from the grassroots of the organisation like many political leaders. And uh, many of them see, saw, viewed anyway, O'Neill as aloof, as being uh, a liberal English unionist and uh, not one of their own. Uh, a lot of them wanted the likes of Brian Faulkner to be leader. O'Neill also faced uh, problems because a lot of um, radical unionists um, like Ian Paisley um, really did feel as if O'Neill was leading them towards United Ireland and this fear constantly plays on a lot of unionists uh, hearts. Um, there's lots of tensions as well too then start to break out because nationalists become very frustrated. They are promised lots of things by O'Neill but a lot of that is not delivered and whenever they see what is delivered they actually are quite concerned because the likes of Craig Avon, a new city, is actually named after the first unionist Prime Minister of Northern Ireland which is not a very progressive thing for a nationalist to, to be able to see. Coleraine as well too as a choice for the new university. Well, Derry is the second biggest city in Northern Ireland, yet um, you know, it was chosen to go to Coleraine. So it's a significant investment and that was chosen to go to Coleraine, which is a smaller Protestant town. Um, and this really did rankle a lot with nationalists and with Catholics. And then finally, a lot of Catholics saw lots of discrimination going on all the time in terms of jobs and housing. Uh, and this continued to rankle with them as well too. So you would have unemployment very high in the western section of the province and uh, it was very clear in terms of jobs and housing that a lot of those were going to Protestants, going to Unionists and that they were regarded as second-class citizens. So hopefully this helps you to understand the, the political and economic uh, policies of O'Neill, why he had them and the strengths and weaknesses of both. Thank you for listening.